1: Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. And he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And you? Good, Father. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Good to see you. You too. Father, we received a brief email a response to a previous the last program that we did actually more of a rebuttal to the last program that we did uh, where we talked about tom brady and an article that had been published concerning his wife and some of the uh witchcraft practices that she does for mr brady so i'll just read this email father from this viewer who says dear wcb i have to tell you you are way off base about that tom brady his wife is not a witch as you put it He does not worship at a witch altar. The article you are referring to is false. His family is deeply Catholic. He and his wife and children are all Catholic. He was married in a Catholic ceremony. His children were baptized in a Catholic church ceremony. He has even publicly acknowledged and professed his Catholicism. I'm afraid you've been hoodwinked. Maybe someone on your staff is jealous of his talent. I don't know. But it's disappointing to hear you bash another Catholic, especially with how the church is flailing these days. Build people up, don't tear them down. Your response to that email, Father Jenkins. Well, um,
0: this uh, this uh, gentleman or lady writes to us about this uh, this article being false, right? Well, not only have there been articles in the subject, but the articles have been generated by an interview uh, with Tom Brady on camera. Actually, I think being prepared for a shave. Mm-hmm and um he is uh, asked by the barber uh, does he have anything to say about the super bowl victory uh, that has not been said yet and he tom brady spontaneously launches into this monologue about giselle his wife um and her practices of this of there's nothing else you can call it i mean he even quotes her as saying to him thank goodness you married a witch you'll be grateful you married a witch uh although a good witch you know these are supposedly her words and um she might have been speaking that somewhat in jest but she was referring to some very real things that she's been doing that not only did tom Brady uh outline i mean he he, he enumerated these various things that she has been doing and that she has been requiring him to do, but he also points out that whereas at first he he thought these things were very peculiar, and perhaps a little laughable, he has come to the conclusion that they are really are uh, uh, valuable, that they do work, that they've had a part to play in his victories and his success, and uh, that now he doesn't even question, but he, he uh, actually even goes to her to find out what he has to do. Mm. These practices are all standard occult practices: uh, wearing uh, stones, uh, protection stones. <clears throat> For those who don't know, they can look them up. But they're part of the uh, the uh, kind of uh, baggage of of witchcraft, uh, calling spirits into stones that can find the parts of the body that need to be protected, and so on and uh so uh, this is all very much uh wicca oriented and spirit oriented here. Uh it's all part of the crystal crystal mentality, you know, crystals mm-hmm. for healing properties and so on, magical properties and um but um even even divination, I mean Michelle or, or I'm sorry, Giselle supposedly can divine the future. Telling Tom when it's his year and when it's not his year, and if it is his year, what he has to do to succeed at it. She does her work, he has to do his. I mean, all of this has come out in this uh, videotaped um, uh, interview uh, with Tom Brady. So, I don't see how it can be false. I would say that if it is false, though, that Tom Brady needs to come out himself. The burden is on him to... Uh, say that it is not true, either he was making it all up, or it was fabricated somehow, or you know, falsified, or it was a stunt double, or somebody else <laughs> who was saying these things. But if it was Tom Brady saying these things, then uh, he has some explaining to do, as they say. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the sad part is uh, what this uh, writer says is that he was in fact uh, baptized in the Novus Ordo. And he had his children baptized again in the Novus Ordo, the New Order, we say. See, we don't see any, any contradiction between what this writer is saying and what Tom Brady himself said. That he, he was raised in and he's raising his family in the Novus Ordo, the New Order. Okay. This is Francis's New Order. Okay. Francis's New Order is multicultural and all the rest. And, um, very much into indigenous uh, cultures and so on, which are often based on some kind of spirits, conjuring, conjuring spirits or whatever. And, um, so the idea of being very ecumenical or eclectic in your spirituality goes very, uh, it goes along very well with what Tom Bree uh, is not only saying, but what is said about him, that he's open to all kinds of broad spectrum of spirituality. Um, and this comes not only from uh, Giselle and her Brazilian background, uh, but also just the, the modern church itself mm-hmm. is this way. So, uh, you know, frankly, I, I don't think Francis himself would have a big problem with uh, <laughs> what um, Tom Bertie was saying. I don't think um, the Novus Ordo clergy in general would really have a serious problem with what uh, Tom Brady was describing as the secret to his success. By the way, you know that uh, the coach uh, of the Patriots, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick has stated uh, on the record that Tom Brady is not a great natural athlete. <clears throat> and uh, that would sort of, you know, chime in with this whole idea that there is something else at work in his success. Not only his hard work, but uh, at his smarts, you know, on the field, but, uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of the uh, natural athleticism that many of the other quarterbacks have. And so the fact that he would find something to supplement uh, that lack would not be surprising knowing the history of the Patriots. And, and, um, I mean, we remember the inflate gate, right?
1: Deflate gate.
0: The, deflate gate. Oh, deflate, gate. deflate. Yes, yeah, not the inflate. De- <laughs> de- deflating the footballs, uh, a little bit, just to allow a better grip on the football, to give an advantage to the quarterback of the Patriots, right? And this was quite a scandal at the time, and there was talk about uh, all kinds of censures and penalties, right, from the NFL. But it's not a a, a spe- matter of speculation. It is a fact that uh the patriots were, not only did that but they also were uh, eavesdropping on the on the uh, huddles of the other teams the spy to gate. get their their spygate right so mm-hmm. there's a consistent history of trying to get an unfair advantage here, right and um you know I, I don't know i think these things have been pretty well established that they are factual sure. not just accusations mm-hmm. So uh you know when i read this i thought well this is another another aspect of wanting to win at all costs unfortunately now you know you have a a a quarterback not only a quarterback but but anybody who was very prominent in this field right who was accused of using occult powers for his success and i think most most people would reject that idea, would say, no, that's absolutely not, not true. Even if they were guilty of it, I think that they would uh, not want that reputation, not be proud of that, not boast of it, certainly. Um But I would also think that most people, if they were offered that, like in the old shows, they'd have the devil appear as a, you know, a fellow with a, a suit coat and a three-piece suit and a nice, flushy tie and and say, you know, for your soul, I'd be glad to give you all this worldly success. You know, there are lots of shows in the past about that. And some people have given into to it, regretted it. Others have pushed it away and said, I would never make a deal like that. I would think that most people who are rather successful uh, would be horrified at the suggestion of using occult powers to gain an advantage over my adversary to be successful in whatever I'm trying to do, to make a deal with the devil, in a way. Maybe they don't think of it that way, but if he thought about it a little bit more, he'd have to ask himself, Tom Brady that is, well, who exactly am I dealing with and who who am I appealing to by these practices? Who is Giselle in contact with Um, that she's summoning help from somewhere? Who's behind all this? And I think you'd have to realize that by process of elimination, Ultimately, it's going to lead to lead to dy- dy- demonic spirits behind this. It's certainly not invoking the powers of saints. It's not invoking the power of God. Um, they're not looking for His glory; they're looking for the glory of uh, Tom Brady, the Patriots, and so on. And uh, and the not only the glory, but the bank account too. The bottom line, right? So, um, I, I don't understand why he thinks it is amusing why he thinks it's uh, something that he would even bring up uh, considering the scandal involved but Finally, I guess I would just say an answer to this dear writer That what she writes there is uh, not contradicting unfortunately Either what I said or what Tom Brittany said Because the new church is open to these things there are conservative Nova Soto churchmen who are, uh, absolutely opposed to anything of the AA cult. That's true. There, there was a priest, maybe two or three, who spoke out against Brady's interview and mm-hmm. commented on it. But it, very few. And the odd thing is that, um, there, how few there were in the Nova Soto clergy who even remarked about it. We even thought it was remarkable. Whereas, you know, you'd think traditionally, if a Catholic of prominence, but uh, that prominence, spoke out and said, "Yes, my wife is into these occult practices, and I think she's really onto something." This is why I've been so successful. Uh, you would think that the parish priest and the the bishop of the diocese and everybody else would be saying, "This is this is a scandal," you know, and objecting to it saying you have to give this up here before you can be absolved or receive Holy Communion or anything. But now you can be a governor of New York and be a Catholic of a good standing when you're celebrating the murder of babies right up to the time they're born. And they won't even excommunicate you for that. So their standards are very low. Well, not only are they low, they're abysmal. There are no standards, really. The only thing they condemn is Catholic tradition. The only thing they want to regulate, the only thing they want to uh, basically annihilate, really, they, what they want to do, is Catholic tradition. Mm. But a man like Tom Brady, who is, as the writer says, so much in, involved in modern Catholicism, can say something like that, and it's uh yawner, or it's fake news. Sure. But uh, if it's not true, then I think it's incumbent upon Mr. Brady and Mrs. Brady to uh, make it clear that uh, this was not this was not true, and people they don't want people believing uh, this that what Tom Brady said is the truth.
1: Sure, Father, you, know, you mentioned the the acumenical Novissordo, and I I read an article just recently uh, from several years ago, another interview with Tom Brady. Uh, where I believe the interviewer actually went to his house and he commented that everywhere throughout Tom Brady's house there were a multitude of religious symbols in there. There were crucifixes, there were Bibles all over the place, but there were also menorahs and all these other symbols of, of all these different religions. And mm-hmm. the interviewer asked Tom Brady about that and he said that he believes in everything. Mm-hmm. So he believes in all of these religions. He's a perfect um, a humanist, a He perfect is a modernist. real novus
0: Catholic. Okay?
1: Perfect. Yeah.
0: Well, I rest my case. <laughs> yeah. And uh, actually, this their writer's testimony uh, supports the case, doesn't undermine it, sure. doesn't okay. contradict it. All
1: right, well, Father, let's uh, move on from Tom Brady and go on to... Carver. i would ask
0: people to pray for them, though. Yeah, you can use it. You know, I just can't imagine being a member of the team or a booster of the team and find out that the quarterback is saying that this is the key to their success and being at peace with that. I mean, I, I read a statement by one of the... Um, what are the Patriots? Mm-hmm. You know, dismissing that and just saying it's, it's hard work and we go out there for the glory of God to use our God given talents mm-hmm. to glorify Him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And my thought was, well, you better talk to your quarterback and see, yeah. if, you know, you and he are on the same team
1: here. Sure. <clears throat> Father, I just, sorry, along those same lines, I just uh, recently heard, heard a story about a, I believe it was a quarterback coach who evaluated quarterbacks for the NFL draft and he's been doing this for years and years. And over the course of his career, he's evaluated hundreds and hundreds of quarterbacks. He said out of all of those Tom Brady that he evaluated, Tom Brady would be ranked very last Mm -hmm. on that list in terms of Mm -hmm. talent, skill, everything. He'd be ranked very last out of all Mm -hmm. of these hundreds and hundreds of quarterbacks Mm -hmm. that he's evaluated and just totally mystified. Well, as Giselle said, he
0: should be thankful that he married a good witch. A good witch. Um, And there's reason to believe that that is a really he is a key to his success. You know, something ironic about this, I don't want to belabor the whole point, maybe you already have, but remember what happened when the, the Rams played the Saints to determine mm-hmm. who would be playing the, the Patriots in the Super Bowl this year? Mm-hmm. Remember the play at the very end there when there was just a, a blatant pass interference on the part of the Rams against the Saints, right? right. And it cost the Saints, well... It probably cost the Saints the game and the trip to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. You know, you think, well, what could occult powers do for Tom Brady and the Saints? Well, it could knock a team like the Saints out of contention and set up the Patriots playing the Rams. Could that happen? Could happen. And you see, you watch the the video of that play with the pass interference, non-call, you really do wonder how could that not be called by a professional refer, football referee you know and i think there were two refs in the area as a matter of fact and could the could occult powers actually affect that they could they could do that and if that made the difference, and of all teams to be knocked out, the Saints, Saints. right? <laughs> uh, so there wasn't Tom Brady and the Patriots against Drew Brees and the Saints. And Drew Brees being a, a very decent man, I understand, and making no, um, uh, no uh, uh, secret of his faith, right, in God. And of Tom Brady's age, right, and experience, so a real challenger to Brady's dominance there. Um, yeah, it could happen, and maybe we saw some of this, maybe we, even before Brady spoke up, maybe people all over the country saw the consequences of Giselle's incantations, and now Tom Brady repeating them in that play, and the consequences of that play. I just found it very strange when I heard uh, Tom Brady speaking about this and looking at the history of who they were playing in the Super Bowl and how they got there. I And, and the, the name of the team and all the rest, I, I just found it really peculiar. But anyway, yeah. um, I suppose we could... <laughs> there's probably a lot more that could be said, but probably shouldn't be right
1: now. So. <laughs> sure.
0: uh, I just ask our writer <clears throat> that I wouldn't want to say anything that was false, certainly, and I'd like to know the truth. Okay, I really would. if we have evidence of the, that what I've said here is not true, <clears throat> what Tom Brady said in the interview is not true, I'd like to know it. Very much. But I uh, think we, all of us, need to um, keep uh, both Tom and Michelle, uh, Tom and Giselle, in our prayers uh, so that they can repent if they're up to doing doing something nefarious and uh, and save their souls.
1: Sure. Well, Father, let's move on then to this email concerning Cardinal Francis Spellman. This viewer writes in and says that he's been following the recent events surrounding Cardinal McCarrick and his predecessor. He came across numerous accusations that Cardinal Francis Spellman was himself an active yet secret homosexual and possible sexual predator. It has even been claimed that it was largely Cardinal Spellman who taught then Bishop McCarrick how to rise to power in the church and successfully manipulate the church's administrative structure. So he cites some of the sources for that, and um, he, he asked, Father, you know, that, that all of this information, all of these, these claims uh, that Cardinal McCarrick, rather Cardinal Spellman, was himself a homosexual, even a sexual predator, and that he taught uh, Cardinal McCarrick the ropes in the, the Novus Ordo Church. All of this information, all these accusations can be rather alarming for traditional Catholics who think that, you know, Cardinal Spellman was essentially a good person, a good cardinal. So, what are your thoughts on this, Father? Is there any connection between Cardinal McCarrick and Cardinal Spellman?
0: Well, I don't know, other than the fact that Cardinal Spellman ordained Theodore McCarrick mm. uh, in nineteen in nineteen fifty eight. Okay, the very year that Pope Pius XII died and John the Twenty Third was elected, right? Uh, Cardinal Spellman ordained Theodore McCarrick. Now, did Cardinal Spellman know who Theodore McCarrick was, or was Theodore McCarrick the man he later became? Was he already that way uh, at his ordination? I don't know. Uh, remember, Vatican II still lay in the future, and we know the corruption that set in with Vatican II. Uh, it was horrible. <clears throat> and there may well be have been, and and no doubt were, men who had certain tendencies, who had them in check, but Vatican II turned them loose. Vatican II was like the Pandora's box. It was was not even the Pandora's box, it was like the Montini's box that was opened. And all of this evil came out of it. And it's still still coming out today. So, I mean, uh, is it possible that Cardinal Spellman himself was given to these evil things. It's. It is possible. Certainly, who could say it wasn't? You know, it's not possible. Um, in fact, Randy Engels, uh, in her book, *The Right of Sodomy*. He, he state, mention, states that here.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, that's uh, quite a, a, a quite a sizable work. I think uh, she has documentation in the book that. Um, well, it's not. Even I mean, some documentation might be more reliable than others, but I think I think the author actually even allows for that, you know, as to the the, the reliability of the documentation. But I must say that it is not something that one can dismiss out of hand. I mean, it's, it's, there's there's enough evidence. There's smoke there. Let's put it, there's smoke, and the saying is where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, Recently, in fact, there was a, a, a report by a man who claimed that as a, a young man, uh, who went as a reporter to, I think even for a college newspaper, he was got, going to do an interview with Cardinal Spellman, and he gives a first-hand account of the Cardinal's behavior or misbehavior there, when the Cardinal was actually just, I think, three months away from death, and um it still, you know, rather lecherous type of things that he, was, this college student, was reporting, and um, you know, I won't go into detail, and I, I wouldn't even if I could, um, but it is, it is distressing, certainly. Um, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that Bishop Mendez was aware of. These stories, uh, I guess there were some stories already back then, about Cardinal Spellman. Uh, Bishop Mendez did not want to be consecrated by Cardinal Spellman. He was, in fact, finally. He was consecrated by Bishop Byrne, right, from Santa Fe, and also by Bishop Ackerman from across the river here. Um, They had reputations for being rather very conservative. Uh, which I would understand, that's why Bishop Mendez was closer to them than to others. Bishop Mendez actually wanted to be, uh, originally he was going to be consecrated by the Archbishop of Philadelphia. Um, well, it's not, not in that haze. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll look that up. But this would have been in 1960. Uh, the Archbishop of Philadelphia was actually a member of the religious order to which Bishop Mendez belonged. The Holy, uh, the Holy Ghost, the the Holy Cross Fathers who staff Notre Dame, and so the Archbishop of Cincinnati, uh, uh, Archbishop of Philadelphia, really was Bishop Mendez's first choice to be the consecrating, the lead consecrating bishop at his consecration. Unfortunately, that bishop was uh, so ill. He died shortly after Bishop Mendez was consecrated. He was not physically able to do that consecration, and so um, unfortunately, you know, Cardinal Spellman was named, and uh, Bishop Mendez told us of his that that was not really his his will or his choice. He didn't go into detail, but he made it very clear he re- was not looking for Cardinal Spellman to be the one consecrating him, but Cardinal Spellman kind of took over. In default of the ailing Archbishop of Philadelphia Whom uh, Bishop Mendez really wanted so um, But uh, you know There are such stories uh, with regard to Cardinal Spellman. I, I, I just really don't know um, I, I would say this though that there certainly was a foundation for this evil <coughs> It didn't come out of nowhere. It was there. And uh, I'm sure in the history of the church, and we go back to the writings of some of the, the, the saints, actually, condemning evil, the evil things. But, I mean, there are always those who spoke up against it and condemned it and, uh, and suppressed it, right? And tried to weed out those who might be wanting to bring that evil into the church. But the problem was with Vatican II that it basically blew the lid off all of this evil. It uh, The modernism of Vatican II dropped all of the defenses against these things. By everything Vatican II was promoting because of its modernism. okay? Um, and modernism basically was sending the message, do what comes natural to you. Follow your feelings. Because they are reliable. And boy, when people did that, then original sin, uh, the consequences of original sin really took over. And uh, it's the modernism of Vatican II that really let let loose in this. We also have to realize that Vatican II didn't come out of nowhere. There were churchmen who were ready for Vatican II, to leave Vatican II and to implement Vatican II. So my point is that the rot was already present there. We shouldn't be surprised at that. Then, when we remember that Saint Pius X warned about this in 1907, with the encyclical *Pascendi*, so he is writing about the enemies of the Church within the Church, already in her heart, in her bloodstream, working to destroy her. And um, we remember the account of a cardinal congratulating, uh, rather. Pope St. Pius X for his encyclical against modernism as though St. Pius X had delivered a death blow to modernism and St. Pius said shaked, sadly, shaking his head, that the modernists would be back and within 50 years half a century lay waste the church. Well, 1907, 1908, and, uh, 1957, 1958, yeah, that's where we are, right? We're right there. The threshold of Vatican II and uh, all of that time, that modernist rot had been working away, eating away at the church like like termites mm-hmm. with the foundation. So you know, if we're if we're looking uh, at a cardinal Spellman uh, having that uh, that issue, well, I'll put it you know as kindly as I can here, having that problem, having that weakness. It, it is. It is entirely possible. Somebody had that and brought that in, and at Vatican II, that it, it just spread like a plague throughout the Church because of modernism. Okay. There's a story told about Cardinal uh, Spellman, though. <clears throat> after uh, I think it was after uh, after Pope Pius the Twelfth died. I don't think it was after the death of John the Twenty Third. I think it was after the death of Pope Pius twelfth this supposedly happened. This was the story told about him because of the reputation he had for being a self-promoter. That the uh, prophecy of St. Malachi, right. okay, uh, described the next pope as the pastor at Nauta, okay? A pastor or shepherd and seaman, Nauta, the sea, man of the sea, right? So the story was that Cardinal Spellman rented a boat, filled it full of sheep, and traveled up and down the Tiber uh, to characterize himself as the man who was destined to be the next pope. Now, did Cardinal Spellman actually do that? No, of course not. I don't think he did that. But the point is, the story was going around because he had such a reputation for being a self-promoter. And, uh, you know, when you look at McCarrick, oh boy, he He was the epitome the apotheosis of the self promoter um with all of his perversions you know mm-hmm. so uh this is again this corresponds to the character of the homosexual and it corresponds to the character of the modernist and you put them together and you've got a poison that is. A hundred times more toxic than either one of them alone, you know. So um, this is this is a, a problem. Mm-hmm. I um, so I, I guess I really can't answer the question yay or nay. But I just have to say, well, it, it's out of the question that it could be so.
1: Sure. finally talking about the modernists already being in the church, as, uh, as Pope Saint Pius X said, you know, in the beginning of his encyclical, he, you know, in the early nineteen hundreds. He says that, you know, he's been fighting them for some time. You know, he first tried Mm -hmm. kindness towards them and and all of this. So that would mean that even sometime before that encyclical, they would have already been in the church. So even going back before that. So Mm -hmm. uh, just the sheer amount of time that that, that they were in the church. Absolutely. Father, if, uh, final point on this, if these allegations against Cardinal Spellman are true, would that have any effect whatsoever on the validity or the catholicity of the consecrations that he performed? No,
0: no, no one has ever suggested that that I know of.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Um, no, no. Okay. Okay. There's no theological reason why one would, uh, not in terms of moral theology or, or sacramental theology, there's no traditional Catholic reason for for use that using that to assail the validity of the consecrations okay. or ordinations.
1: Okay, all right, Father. Let's move on to another email. What are your thoughts on depictions of Jesus in films and art as a Caucasian man? Do Christian artists have an obligation to portray him with a Middle Eastern appearance as he would have looked like?
0: Uh, no, no, we don't have a need to, to represent him according to a certain ethnic group or ethnicity. Remember, you know, we we have the apparitions, for example, our Blessed Mother, right? And Our Lady appeared in various parts of the world in the course of the history of the Church. And she has adopted pretty much steadily, I think, if you look at the various apparitions, the appearance and the, the facial features and the... Of the uh, even the patois, I mean, even the dialect of the local area, and so at at uh, Guadalupe, mm-hmm. right? Our Lady appeared as basically one of the native, uh, one of the native Indians there, one of the uh, indigenous people, as they like to see now. So done uh, at their uh, Juan Diego, right? Mm-hmm. Saw there this uh, maiden who appeared to him. As one of his own people, right, and spoke to him in his own tongue, and uh, so it was with Bernadette, Saint Bernadette. You know, when Our Lady said, uh, uh, "I am the Immaculate Conception," she didn't say it in, in, in classic French or whatever, um, in la langue de français. Uh, you know, French. She she spoke in the uh, the dialect that was prevalent at uh, Lord, you know, and uh, so through history, I think you'd find very much the same thing. And I, I again, I always understood that to be a matter of Almighty God saying that, that uh, as the gospel says, and as the epistles says, notably St. Paul, that Christ is all to all, and uh, that the church really is Catholic, it is for all mankind, almost as though our Lord's. And our Blessed Mother's ethnic um, background or origins were, were somehow sublimated or not the important thing, but that Christ is the Savior of all mankind, the only Savior there is, right? The only Redeemer of all mankind, the Savior of many. <laughs> and uh, the Church is Catholic, and our Blessed Mother is indeed the Blessed Mother of all the faithful, regardless. Of their race or ethnic origin so um, I think it is very Catholic actually to represent our Lord um, to to represent us whoever we may be you know mm. we know there's the black Madonna and you know I mean Catholics can be as white as they get I mean let's face it nobody's really white we, uh, out and out white right uh, and um, you know, you just have various shades of pink and, and tan and brown and all that. And even the ones who are white, you know, uh, go through great lengths to turn tan. You know, they, they value their tans too. So, um, and sometimes the darker tan, the, the more successful they are, you know. So they're very health, happy with that because it makes them look healthy, they think, and more attractive. So it's kind of peculiar, you know, that uh, they find that a positive, a plus. You know, this is what they want to appear like. But um, the the point I'm trying to make is that uh, uh, we who are used to seeing our Lord portrayed as a Caucasian male, right on the cross, have no problem. We we find it actually the right thing that in uh, in Africa, you know, the Native uh, Americans and uh, those in the Orient, it would portray our Lord in such a way. That he represented them on the cross, with all of their uh, indigenous characteristics being very apparent, I find nothing wrong with that. I would find that very appropriate, necessary, and right
1: sure. to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, Father. Uh, I would still
0: recognize my
1: Lord on the cross. Mm-hmm. Sure, Father. Uh, one, perhaps we can end with with this question. It's rather interesting topic to discuss, but. Sheer says, what are your thoughts on the growth of the Orthodox Church in Russia? In 1991, 31% of Russians were Orthodox, and today the number is 72%. What do you account for this growth, and how do you replicate that growth in the U.S.?
0: Well, we don't. We don't want the Russian Orthodox Church to grow in the U.S. Why not? Because it's a—it's not right. It's not its not the true faith, right? Uh, the Russian Orthodox Church is a systematic church broken away, from the Catholic Church, okay. Uh, the Russian Orthodox Church seceded with the churches of the East and the Eastern Empire uh, in the year 1054, mm-hmm. 1054. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a long history then of uh, involving, to some extent, the churches of the East, the Orthodox churches, as they call themselves, returning to union. With the Catholic Church in Rome. Some did and formed the Uniate Rites of the East right? but uh, the Orthodox Churches did not. They remain in schism from the Catholic Church. And so, I mean, we can't, I, I could not work for the proliferation of the Russian Orthodox Church or any Orthodox Church here in the United States or anywhere else because I, I uh, find them separated from the true traditional Catholic Church by some very serious obstacles not only schism but now heresies against the faith as well so i'm not sure why this individual would i mean if that is to be interpreted interpreted as why how do we replicate the growth of the russian orthodox church in america i don't quite get that question little of, um, but anyway um, why would the russian orthodox church be growing in? In adherence in Russia Well, I I don't think that's really hard to understand. I think that uh, uh, with glasnost and perestroika and uh, the seeming collapse of the Soviet Empire that the pressure was off the militant atheism relaxed, right? and a number of those who held on to their belief in Christ and No doubt, you know, many of those believing that this is the right thing, that this is true Christianity, I assume, you know, they have that understanding insofar as what they know, would resume, if they had left off, but would come back to the churches of the Russian Orthodox and resume practicing the Russian Orthodox Church, faith, religion, whatever, as you wish. But, um, and that one could see that in the course of time, especially with... uh, Uh, Mm. Putin, right? With uh, Putin (coughs) rather endorsing this Mm. and uh, being photographed, practicing this, that (coughs) this would give a certain cachet, as it were, now to um, for his admirers, and he has a lot of admirers in Russia, his followers um, to come out and to kind of be co religious with him. Um I imagine there's a certain amount of uh, prestige to that. The the Russian Orthodox clergy, right has been somewhat restored to uh, a position of honor within Russia now under Putin. Uh, the story is that uh, of course, Putin is using that through ecumenical efforts with Rome and the Francis, to increase Putin's own political power in Russia and to cement, as it were, his political position in Russia with the Russians themselves and all for his political aggrandizement. I mean, there, there are many who do not trust him. I do not trust him myself. I, I, he's a He was a Soviet operative, he was the head of the the KGB, actually, the, the Russian, the uh, the uh, Stasi, the East German Stasi, which was very cruel and oppressive. I do not see this man as undergoing a great metanoia and a great conversion. I don't think he's, out, he's made the altar call. <laughs> I think he's just a political mm-hmm. operative of great shrewdness, right? But in any case, it's not a mystery to me to see the Russian Orthodox Church growing in, in followers and numbers in Russia, considering the political sit- situation in Russia right now.
1: Okay.
0: Um, how much of that is <clears throat> sincere practice of that religion, I, I don't know. I tend to think that many of the rank-and-file Russian people are drawn to that because uh, there are only a handful of religions that are legal so to speak, in Russia, and not hampered, but the Russian Orthodox uh, religion is favored, no doubt, politically, and um, that gives it a certain advantage and a certain hold over the the people there.
1: Sure. Father, you mentioned how you see this Russian Orthodox as problematic, schismatic, heretical, and all the rest. I, I can tell you from my personal experience, I can't speak for this particular viewer, obviously, but... In my particular, my experience, I've noticed that many Catholics, many Novus Ordo Catholics, many would-be traditional Catholics, do not see the Russian Orthodox as problematic in any way whatsoever. In fact, they view it as, uh, you know, Orthodox, that's synonymous with traditional, right? They, uh, if you, I've I've seen videos before of uh, Putin attending some of these Orthodox ceremonies, and they are very, shall I say, refined or... You know, they, they dress very elegantly, it seems very, very much like you... Well, they're
0: impressive, because they seem very like, yeah. solemn
1: and yeah, some, something like you'd see in a, in a traditional Catholic Church. They have the incense burning and, and all the rest, all the candles lit. It's very beautiful. Um, but so many Catholics, Nova Ordo, traditional like they don't see this Russian Orthodox as problematic. The they Nova Ordo, I can
0: understand that. The traditional, what do you say? Well, they obviously need to understand... They need to understand the Catholic Church and its nature and its character Uh, in order to understand the nature of schism and the schism that swept away the Orthodox, the East. And a lot of Catholics are ignorant. Yes, traditional Catholics are ignorant too of these things. That's why they are, we might say, prey to being drawn back into the Novus Ordo, even prey to being lured back into the Novus Ordo to practice the traditional faith, so to speak, practice the traditional religion within the Novus Ordo because they don't understand the nature of the Catholic Church itself. And they, they unfortunately, I mean, even some of our own traditional Catholics think like good modernists in terms of ecumenism. They don't understand uh, how that the Church doesn't believe traditionally in being in partial communion with anyone. You're either, you either have the faith or you don't. You don't have it incrementally. Okay. The virtue of faith is what it is. Either you have it or you don't. Okay. And, um, and as far as the practice of the faith, the, uh, we, we can't talk like the Novus Ordo does in terms of being in partial communion with this group and in partial communion with that group. Because this is the language of ecumenism, where everybody's kind of partially in communion with everybody else, because we share certain things in common. But being in communion means that you can actually give them Holy Communion at your communion rail. Of course, it's not a way the communion rail, so that doesn't count. They've done away with communion too, actually, and they <laughs> they just have wafers now, and that's the way they treat the the host. Mm-hmm. But um, but there is a weakness there. You're right, and I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I, I'm. I'm not surprised to hear you say that there are traditional Catholics who would fall into that category you think, "Well, the Orthodox, yeah, they must be okay, schismatic." Well, does it really matter? <laughs> the answer is, "Oh, yes, it matters. Whether you're Catholic or not, mm-hmm. it matters." But uh, this is thinking more like the Novus Ordo than a traditional Catholic. Okay. Um, to say, as you as you might, that some traditional Catholics think that way. I would have no problem in accepting that as the truth. Mm. To say that many, or most, mm. I would be loath to think that's true, but I'll tell you, if it is true, I need to know, and all traditional, real traditional priests need to know, so that they can remedy the problem. Sure. It's a matter of ecclesiology and the very concept of what the church is. But mm-hmm. if that's what the issue is, and they're poorly, they have poor foundation in understanding that, sure. yeah, they're, they're on their way to modernism, and we have to try to Prevent that from happening. We have to save them from that.
1: One argument that I've heard in favor of the Russian Orthodox is that they have this great devotion to Our Blessed Lady, and she would not, uh, she would not lead them in the heresy. She would not allow them to, uh, yeah. to, to stay in this heretical state.
0: We're, we're told that uh, Islam, as a you know, exalts Our Lady too. We're told that Islam says that Jesus, Esau, right, is sinless, and you know that he will come to to judge and so on. And his mother is, you know, the Great Mary and that uh, they have a, a devotion to Mary in Islam too. But I don't hear any of them saying, well, that means that of course Mary would not let them fall into error, so Islam must be okay. I don't know anybody who would say that, among traditional Catholics anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, there might be some Novus Ordo, ecumenists, modernists who would say that. But uh, but it's false, It's it's wrong thinking. You know, the fact that they have a devotion to Our Lady gives us hope that we can, through Our Lady's uh, good graces, bring them back into the church. But they, it doesn't change the fact that they are schismatics. And they have rejected truths of faith that uh, we know are, are actually dogmas and doctrines of our faith. We must believe or be heretical. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, fallen into heresy. Sure. I mean, the, <laughs> ask a Russian Orthodox if he or she believes in the immac- Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Mother, they say no. They reject that. And uh, how is that devotion to Our Lady? Sure. So even that is undermined by their schism. Right. So no, I, I certainly don't want to promote uh, the Russian Orthodox Church here in America. I want to promote the traditional Catholic faith and I want to enable people to understand they have to flee from the Novus Ordo, like the Israelites flee Egypt. The, the, as the Hebrews packed up and went out into the desert to get away from the slavery, the bondage of uh, pagan Egypt. So the traditional Catholics have to do the same when it comes to the Novus Ordo, they just have to absolutely reject it and leave those places, you know, that are being held in that bondage of modernism. Mm-hmm. And go back to practicing the traditional faith,
1: Father. A related point in this discussion is, you know, how at Fatima, Our Lady said that Russia will spread her errors. There are those who say that um, Our Lady didn't actually say that. If you if you look at the the cold hard facts here, Russia is not doing any error spreading whatsoever. They're concerned with their growing the Orthodox Church, this beautiful Orthodox Church in Russia, whereas actually it's Israel and America and others spreading their errors. They are the ones invading all these countries and spreading all this air all over the world. It's not Russia whatsoever.
0: That is pure fantasy. Okay. That is pure fantasy. The fact is that the errors of Russia, Marxism, Socialism, Communism, the idea that man is an economic animal, only that, nothing more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the state is God. This is liberalism, progressivism, and this is uh, the message of the progressivists and liberals and liberals, and it, it has been emanated from Russia, from the time of the Bolshevik Revolution. This has been the constant message pumped out by the propaganda organs, right, of uh, the Communist Party, um, and, and so it is. I mean, this, this is what we're dealing with everywhere right now. Um, one, one can deny it all he wants, but the very concept of what a human being is, right? I mean, how do you go? How do you go? How do let me put it this way. How do you get to a Supreme Court in the United States of America, 1973, presuming to define what is human and what is potentially human? and decide that the baby in the womb is only potentially human. I mean, what court in Soviet Russia had gone that far to say this whole class of, of what are identifiably human beings, right? Um, this is human life here, does not have the status of being human and therefore is subject to being slaughtered by the millions, okay? But this whole mentality goes back to the errors of Marx. Lenin, Stalin, and so on. Stalin wasn't much of a thinker; he was more of a an operator. Okay, but Lenin was a theoretician, and he's the man who made Marxism what it was in Russia. Okay, he translated it into the Russian mind, and and gave it legs, as it were, and um, and these these false ideas are all in that philosophy. They're all contained in German that philosophy, and we're watching all of these errors unfold. No, no our lady, what I said, but our lady said it is exactly, exactly what happened. Russia spread her errors throughout the world, and now the fact that we see them throughout the world uh, is is the fulfillment of that prophecy. It's not an, it's not an argument against the fact that now these errors are everywhere. It's not Russia. I'm sorry that uh, they're ignoring reality there.
1: Mm-hmm. And Father, this is only speculation, but uh, how ironic would it be if, you know, as Our Lady said that Russia would spread her airs, how ironic would it be if, if we see that kind of come full circle where, uh, you know, we have this this uh, enormous growth of the, the Russian Orthodox Church and so many people are drawn to that because of whatever reasons like you mentioned and, um, and all that. So there's just this exploding growth of this Russian Orthodox Church, how ironic would it be if If people are leaving the Novus Ordo, leaving these other religions because they're not finding them traditional enough and they're looking for something traditional, something orthodox, and they end up in this Russian orthodox church, and could that be another chapter? Well, John, that is the height of irony, actually.
0: Really diabolical irony. That's a very good point. You know, the the orthodox churches broke away. Well, they did in 1054 because of what they conceived as their superior culture. They looked upon the Latins as being backwards and rather barbaric, okay, primitives. Remember, Rome was the center of the Roman Empire. Uh, first you had the kings, then you had the republic, and then you had the empire, right? And for all those years, a like thousand years, you had the empire of Rome, and uh, it was uh, centered for about a thousand years right there in Rome itself. When Constantine became the emperor, he was beginning to share the empire with Licinius, who was going to uh, govern the empire in the East. Licinius, however, continued to persecute the church. Um, after Constantine gave the church a certain legal liberty and made the church legitimate in the West, Licinius continued to persecute the church and inevitably was going to come to blows between Constantine and Licinius. And Constantine found it necessary to make war against Licinius, defeat him. And after that, he would not share the empire with other, like a second empire emperor or a Caesars. Uh, he determined to govern the entire emperor, empire himself. And to that end, he moved the capital from Rome to Constantinople, a city which he basically created uh, for himself and named after himself, the city of Constantine. And Rome became kind of a backwater. It was abandoned. It lost the prestige, the military might, the financial uh, wealth, and all the rest. The cultural center of, of the empire moved to Constantinople, and Rome began to suffer the consequences. And the power of Rome, the empire, which had kept all of the barbaric nations at bay, you know, in the 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 borders of the empire, talking about building a wall, right? Uh, Suddenly that power was weakened and the barbarians saw the opportunity now to surge back in. And so you have the history that uh, after Constantine moved the capital of of, uh, the empire to Constantinople, you begin to see it at, at first trickles and then torrents of barbaric tribes pouring into the empire, attacking bringing their ships down the rivers, and attacking the villages of of the empire. And uh, who did people turn to? Well, actually, the, the only real power, uh, the only real uh, authority that had enough prestige to affect anything was the Pope. He would not go to Constantinople, because he was the successor of Peter. Peter was the Bishop of Rome, and it was in his worldly best interests from a thousand points of view to go with the emperor. But the church was not a department of state. It was, a, you know, a, the institution established by Jesus Christ, our Lord, by God himself here on earth. And so the pope was riveted to Rome. And so he remained there throughout all of this. And, and really it was the papal the power that saved Europe and formed what were to become the Christian nations out of those barbarian peoples. Uh, And the Pope didn't send armies against the barbarians. He sent monks. He sent missionaries, right? And a great force for the conversion of the barbarians was the Catholic wives because they married Catholic wives as their queens because they saw something wonderful in them, right? And these women were a very powerful force for bringing their barbaric husband kings into the Catholic faith. It's quite a story, you know, it's a, it's a real adventure story. So, um, But in any case, the, the, what I'm getting at here is that the Orthodox, who later broke away because of the Eastern Empire centered around Constantinople, broke away because of a certain hubris of their Greek culture, their Greek-based culture. And uh, they found that to be so superior that it was demeaning and degrading for them to be answerable to Rome. Remember, there were patriarchal seas that were very ancient. Uh, and seas, I mean, cities, right, where there were bishops and metropolitans. We had um, not only Rome, but was, which was Peter's see, where he died as a martyr, but we also had Alexandria, St. Mark, and we had, uh, and there was Peter's influence there. This was the Mark who had accompanied Peter, right? So St. Mark established the Sea of Alexandria, the great le- city of learning, uh kind of the university town of, of Northern Africa, right? of, of the, the, the Mediterranean world at that time. And Antioch, very ancient sea. Peter had been bishop there for seven years before he was in Rome, and Jerusalem. You know, these great patriarchal sees that were centers of the faith. And then Constantinople came along, founded, uh, you know, after all of these others. But Constantinople was constantly bucking for um, uh, superiority. It it, it didn't want to be, because it was a city of the emperor, and the, the court chaplain of the emperor was a bishop. I mean, he also thought in terms of, this is the imperial city. I'm the bishop of the imperial city of the emperor. And, and he, uh, he wanted that, that, uh, that power, and that prestige. And so Constantinople you know, saw itself as surpassing Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, and then bucking against Rome, too, for the primacy. And uh Rome wasn't giving. So finally they just went into schism. Mm-hmm. And uh it's it's ironic that uh the year was ten fifty-four and in the year ten seventy-one. Uh, we're talking about just seventeen years later, the Battle of Manzikert, the Osmonds. Who became the Ottomans, right? The Osmans, the, the Seljuk Turks shredded the, the army of the Emperor of Constantinople and the field of battle. And suddenly the Emperor found himself appealing to Rome for help now. Okay. We know the story about that. Okay. And Gregory the seventh wanted to help. He desperately wanted to help. But the Emperor of the West was being very bad. And so, poor Gregory had to deal with him. Anyway, we're going into detail there. You know that we, I could, uh, and am prone to do so, but I better not right now. But you, you, you know, you asked the question, so (laughs) the the, the consequences. But, uh, (laughs) but the the reason why the the Orthodox broke away is because they felt their superiority Mm -hmm. of their culture, and this tied them to the empire. This tied them to the emperor has tied them to their bishops and their metropolitans as political figures. Tying anything to a local culture is very dangerous. This is what we see happening with the Novus Ordo right, right now, yeah. enculturation. Well, here you, you have the bishops uh, considering themselves as kind of an extension of the civil government, the culture, and, uh, and the civil power. And the danger of that is the state, the church becomes an apartment of state there and is governed by the political power, subject to it. And when you have a revolution, as they did in Russia, and the Bolsheviks took over, they saw a tremendous opportunity in using the Russian Orthodox Church as a means of repression and spying on the people in their confessionals and everywhere else. And so they staffed the Russian Orthodox Church with NKVD and later KGB operatives as a means of of controlling the population. Talking about wanting to control the people, body and soul. This is what this is what Marxism does. This is satanic, and this was a perfect opportunity for the for the Bolsheviks to use that Russian Orthodox Church (coughs) as a means of of securing absolute control over the Russian people. While they were inculcating the ideas of atheism in their minds at the same time. So, um, it would indeed be ironic, right? If now people would fly, would flee to that Russian Orthodox Church, which had been so completely compromised, say the least, By the power, by the errors of Russia. And now try to find refuge there. No wonder Our Lady said we had to, had to pray for the conversion of Russia, pray for the conversion of Russia. Our Lady has a great love for the Russian people. And I think she was intending to use the Russian people to help convert the rest of the world by their devotion to her. That's why she wanted the Holy Father at, at first, and then the Holy Father in union with all the bishops of the world to consecrate Russia to her immaculate heart. But the powers of hell opposed it tooth and nail, right? or tooth and claw, I guess you'd say. And uh, no wonder, you know, no, because they, they knew the power of that. So, um, yeah, it, really when you look back and you see what our lady wanted to accomplish through Russia, and she said would still happen, that Russia would still be converted in the future. We don't know when, okay? It's not happened yet, clearly. But maybe some people are falling into that and assuming that this Russia must have been converted, so now it's you know, that's this is the answer.
1: Converted to Orthodoxy yeah, that's not a conversion, no.
0: Uh, that's not the conversion our Blessed Mother was referring to no. okay? But uh, Our Lady still has plans for Russia, mm-hmm. but it's not the Russian Orthodox Church that she has plans for. Okay. It's to save Russia from that, from that, a church that has completely um, sold itself to the power of the state. And that was the whole reason for its its creation in the first place. Orthodoxy in its schism, right? Our Lady still has great plans for that, but it won't be uh, salvation through the Orthodox Church, it will be saving the salvation from the Orthodox Church and whatever, everything it stood for in itself, aligning itself with the civil power, which put itself squarely in the power of the Bolsheviks.
1: Father, real quickly, just... in. Closing. Oh dear, <laughs> that's always dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. And in closing, what what can the what practical steps can the average everyday traditional Catholic take to assist with Our Lady's plans to assist with the conversion of Russia? Certainly
0: consecrate themselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary okay. as early requested at Fatima, as our Lord requested through Our Lady at Fatima, right? And uh, and to pray the rosary daily, practice our Lady's virtues, like all of the above, and uh, you know, appeal, appeal that our Lady's promise be realized. We have a beautiful prayer, uh, to our Blessed Mother praying for the triumph of Mary's Immaculate Heart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have to ask, she said that in the end her Immaculate Heart will triumph, but we have to pray for that. Uh, we have to pray for it, um, the sense that not we, that we think it can happen, it can't happen unless we help our lady make it happen because she doesn't need us to make it happen. But there are conditions under which it will be fulfilled when it is fulfilled, and that will be people will be earnestly begging God for it and preparing themselves for it. And when we pray that prayer for the triumph of Mary's Immaculate Heart. We are opening our hearts to receive the graces that God is trying to give us. But there are obstacles we're putting in the way. And when we pray for something, we're removing those obstacles and opening the way for those graces to come. So we need to pray that prayer for the triumph of Mary's Immaculate Heart. And consecrate ourselves to our Immaculate Heart and show that we're sincere by our prayers, especially the Rosary. Receiving our Lord in the Holy Communion, to the extent that we can, of course, in the five first Friday, uh, first Saturdays of the month, uh, meditating on the Passion of our Lord, praying the five decades of the Rosary during that at that day too, specifically for that intention, and for that purpose. So, Tom, those are the those are the basic basic things yeah. that the rank and file Catholic, the true foot soldier of the Church, should do
1: sure.
0: in order to uh, beg heaven for that great grace.
1: Father, thanks for being here tonight. God bless you. You're welcome, Tom. Thank
0: you. God bless you too. And God bless all of our listeners
1: too. Thanks to all our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.